Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. This is episode two with our friends at Sims and Associates. And today we're going to talk about WFM pilot and rollout. So in episode one, we did all the what do you do once you've chosen your WFM solution and how do you get set up for success. We assume that you've done all that. Now we're going to move into the pilot rollout phase of the project. Delighted to say that Michael, Mal and Fabio are back for another chat and to share some of their amazing insights. So we'll, we'll kind of get straight into the detail and we'll come to you first, Michael. Lots of organisations talk about pilots in WFM and in fairness, other technical solutions. In your mind, is, is a pilot a pilot? So in, in true definition, if it doesn't work, you turn it off and, and kind of walk away. It's a a larger scale proof of concept or actually is it normally just phase one rollout with a bit more support and getting out all the kind of demons that may exist in the software well we we see both but for it to be a pilot it it would have to have an evaluation stage at the end which at least would have some kind of go no go um, and a review with the senior stakeholders for me to be called a pilot um, and if it's effectively just an implementation uh, be it at a smaller scale that is followed by further implementation then it's not a pilot as far as i'm concerned and do, do people because certainly in wfm my experience tells me that you have to invest even for a pilot a lot of the effort prior to that to get the configuration right whether it be for 4 10 400 stores so do do people really have that go no go decision or or is the decision more what things do we need to change before we roll it out to a wider audience it it could be it could be both actually uh, simon i mean we've we've done a pilot recently which effectively was the implementation at one small country they've completed the pilot and they're now they're currently evaluating uh looking at the lessons learned um, and, and that's a, a very important step because, as we touched on yesterday with workforce management implementation, it, this is not just a technical installation. It's not just a software tool. It's a set of processes. It often requires a lot of change management. And so it, it is a, a complex implementation that touches many aspects of the organization. So that evaluation is critical. Excellent. And Mal, what's your experience with pilots? Do they do they roll into implementation, or again, do you see those kind of stage gates where people will, will do a review and pause, stop, make changes? I, I think it's a little bit fuzzy. I, um, pilots and, and phase ones tend to fuzz together uh, quite a lot. Um, most of the work is definitely done ahead of time, and it's really uh, tweaking according to regional or individual requirements that that could occur through, you know, uh, in, probably not industry changes, but country changes or, or region changes. And what kind of lessons or things do you typically see come out of those pilots? What are their change management training things that come out? Are there system configuration changes? I. Th- I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think there needs to be a little bit of give and take in most situations. Uh, we, When people start using the solution in earnest, you discover little hidden things or um, 
um, unknown things that uh, around how people operate that we didn't realize in earlier stages that we need to either accommodate into the solution or or, or work out a way for them to to ad- adapt their processes instead um, so I think it's it, it's it's a bit of both so a good learning platform for the change team and the the technical implementation team and Fabio in, in your experience is there good pilot selections and poor pilot selections does that have a big influence on the success of the pilot and the learnings yes of course I mean that that is going to make all the difference uh, because not only you need clear criteria to make sure that your pilot is successful or not but you need to choose a representative population or a representative sample of your whole population. Otherwise, you are going to face issues in the actual rollout that were not uncovered in the pilot or in user acceptance testing or whatever other kind of testing you have. So it is fundamental that you do that. Um, And we have, of course, seen both cases, very good pilots that just almost seamlessly roll out uh, or allow us to roll out to the rest of the organization and the opposite, uh, which is a pilot that has been done uh, maybe without a lot of planning and that at the end of the day, it just allows us to you know, identify a lot of the issues that had not been uncovered, but maybe when it's a little bit too late. So of course, pilot selection, pilot group selection is vital. And that, that selection, I assume, can be physical, should take into account physical things. So if you're, I don't know, a supermarket, large stores, small stores, maybe different floors or different layouts, different specialist departments that need different manning. But I also, as well, hear things like put it in this store because this manager's tricky. They don't really believe in it. So if they can do it, then that proves anybody can do it. And adversely, we'll put it in this store because they're a great manager. So you almost know they're going to do it anyway. Do you see those things come through? And that is also related to change management. Uh, you know, you are constantly looking for ambassadors of a solution within an organization. So, of course, uh, depending, uh, you know, you can have site leaders or store managers or line leaders in manufacturing that are going to be friendlier and more open to being part of pilot and that then can let you transmit the message uh, to the other parts of the organization. But that needs to be well balanced with the fact that you need to have um, your pretty much all your use cases represented in your pilot. So it's not enough to go with uh, friendly managers. They also need to have control of a population that is representative of what your business is actually going to need in the future. So if you don't have any complexity or if you miss any of the complexity in the pilot, you're going to have to deal with that during the rollout. And that that can be tricky. Okay, so a nice blend, cover all your requirements, cover all the different types of people. Michael, in your experience, do you see organisations that heavily support the pilot store? So maybe have um, people from the project team in there for a long period of time. And how do you get that balance of supporting them because it's new to the whole business, but almost making it representative that you can't supply that intensive care support to maybe every further location in rollout? How do you find that balance? Uh, I think 
to to answer that, I also have to sort of bridge back to to uh, Fabio's point earlier. I I do feel that you need representation in the organization, sort in the project, in the pilot, not just from supporting uh, managers, supporting representatives, but also from people who um, provide resistance. Because if you can't resolve the resistance within a small pilot group, then you certainly won't succeed when you do a larger scale rollout. So I think that is key. And I've found in the past that where I've done these uh, pilots, um, you get such a varied uh, discussion also between the supporters and, and the people who are less supportive um, within the project group that it it, it throws up all kinds of uh, aspects that you, as a third party, certainly uh, not necessarily uh, have considered. The kind of less supportive people, does there come a point when you kind of have to draw a line and say that this is this is what it is, this is what's going to happen, we need to find ways for you to get on board and, and run with it? Because th- there must come a point when you can only make so many changes or the solution can only do so many things. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And, and that's why you also need governance in place. So if um, if somebody raises uh, a challenge, uh, an, an objective, uh, a barrier uh, to the successful conclusion, and you can't resolve it within the project team, then that needs to be raised uh, within um, the steering group. And it either it might ch- lead to a change in the objectives of the pilot, um, or or it needs to be parked, or in some way it, it needs to be resolved at a higher level. Because certainly as a third party, um, we, we can't resolve it for them. Yeah, so it comes back to that kind of senior senior leadership buy-in or exactly. whatever the senior stakeholder or sponsor is driving that message through the organization that it's not not particularly optional whether you use this solution or not moving forward and You'll do all you can to listen to resolve any issues, but clearly there, there comes a point when cost, time, pressure, functionality, um, kind of is what it is. So, Mal, we've if we've done a pilot and we've kind of got to the point where we're, we're eighty, let's say nothing's ever one hundred percent, eighty percent happy, and we've made some tweaks to the maybe the training plan and the material and some configuration changes. Is there a natural transition from pilot to rollout? What, what kind of does that planning piece look like? How, how do you think about number of locations you might roll out in a week? What, what typical things and activities happen in that, right, we think this is going to roll, what's next? I, I, I suppose that comes down to what's achievable with the people that we have involved in the project, um, both on the uh, consulting side and on the, on the client side as well. Um, people... We need to be able to support the new locations effectively. I guess really the the customer, hopefully, should be able to support those new locations effectively as they're as they're being turned on and going live. Seems to seems to be the most important thing to me because we should be handing over the reins as much as possible during that process to to make the client more accountable. And is have you ever seen instances where almost people have done a, a phase one pilot, so it's in it's intensive care hyper support, then they've almost done a, a smaller, let's call it 
initial rollout to test what it looks like without that intensive support because it's just not sustainable as you maybe roll out five, ten, fifteen hundred stores a week? I haven't seen that, no, but um, th- that certainly makes sense. I mean, you're definitely going to get a major influx of support requirements during the initial weeks or an initial whatever period of time. So uh, a big bang would not be feasible if the customer is doing it all themselves. So um, a piecemeal approach really has to be applied in most situations, I would think. And I know in, in episode three, we're going to talk about so what happens post-implementation, which for me is one of the, the most crucial parts. Lots of lots of projects, regardless of WFM, are great when you've got a, a dedicated team and uh, everyone's excited about it and it's something new and then it moves into business as usual and it maybe gets lost or there's a focus for a new project. But how do you cater for kind of change requests or things that come through as you're still rolling out? Is that Fabio, something that you part to the end, or do, does the WFM system keep evolving forever in a day? Well, I think it depends on criticality and uh, how it's going to impact usage of the tool or the system that we are implementing. Uh, what we would, of course, in a in an ideal world, try to keep this to a minimum. And if we work well on documentation, making sure that understanding and validation of our understanding <clears throat> sorry of those requirements that we are receiving throughout the project is correct then we should be able to keep this to a minimum but uh, sometimes you know just during pilot or just before going live or immediately afterwards uh, we will be hit with a change something that we missed or the customer missed uh, that is fine and we just need to know if this is something that needs to be tackled now Maybe because it, for example, affects uh, payroll or any other outcome from the system, or if this is something more related to a nice to have and that we can park that for the future. So both both scenarios are are feasible. And I think it was Mal. Maybe you mentioned this before around when when as a customer. So if I'm the customer now and you're helping me implement, and we've also got the solution provider. When should I start to feel self-sufficient? When should I start to be saying, actually, no, I'll I'll make those changes and I'll come back to you if I need to be? Is that as we roll out? Is that at the start of pilot, as we transition out of pilot? And again, it might be different for different customers based on the size of their teams. But what, what do you see as typical or best practice? I think the learning process needs to start immediately. So as we're developing requirements and working through some uh workshops to show what the solution can do based on what we understand of their requirements that should be beginning right then to show the the right people where that's happening in the solution so that that they're learning gradually as we progress i feel like during the the pilot stage that's when their technical people should be able to be stretching their legs a little bit and getting into the configuration to see where things are happening and if needed start making those changes for themselves at that point um obviously with support but um it's awesome seeing clients who are able to do that during the pilot stage um, Michael, what's your experience in terms of that transition to self-support or less reliance on um, software provider and implementation teams? 
sorry for the silence. I'm just thinking because in in my experience, we're we're also heavily involved in the period after the pilot in terms of uh, assisting in the evaluation of the results, um, helping to create an inventory of lessons learned, so what worked, what didn't, um, what needs to change. Um, then ultimately, the, the go-no-go decision is, of course, an internal affair. Uh, but to help uh, determine what worked and what didn't work, and, and how, uh, very importantly, how to overcome some of the challenges that they've identified in pilot phase, um, and what it means, what the effort uh, would be to overcome those, to resolve those. Um, that's very much something that, that we're involved in. So I think often it pilot both in terms of the preparation, the execution, as well as the period after the pilot, there are some involvement from us. Do you see the same, Fabio, and you've experienced the same in that kind of maybe that some of the work that you do changes, becomes more strategic, but the client's doing more of the kind of day-to-day management? Yes, and I think it goes back to the responsibilities matrix on this because, and this is something that we will discuss at the beginning of every project, but, uh, you know, there are stages of the project in which our role changes dramatically as, as consultants. So we own configuration, for example, but we support testing and we support hypercare. So we stop owning that part and it is, I mean, it's crucial that the customer is capable and comfortable owning their, the solution that has been implemented after, after go live or after, yeah, after having gone live. Uh, so our role will definitely change and we will be there to support, but we are no longer owning that part of the project. Uh, so that also needs to be very clear from the beginning. And, and the roles do change, and it takes a little bit of uh, taking used to, of course. So it, it, it sounds like, again, back in episode one, we talked about the governance, we talked about setting up the project team, making sure that things are really clear. And I think it was yourself, Fabio, again, that talked about the governance meetings and you re- you'd review the why you were doing this every time and the expected outcomes. It sounds like that, that is just so critical based on our conversation today of uh, rollout pilot because lots of things are pinned back to that. So the the criticality of the setup, the project team, the governance, the expectations of who's responsible for which parts of the project, where that transitions out, where maybe your roles as implementation consultants morph into and change and transform into something different. So I don't know, Mal, if you agree with that, that this is all well and we'll finish this episode with a, yeah, we've done a great pilot and we've rolled out, we'll focus on post-implementation support. But it seems to me the criticality was almost everything we discussed in episode one. Absolutely. I mean, uh, having having everything in place so that you have a sustainable solution, uh, sustainable processes and practices in place uh, as as we're handing across to the customer, for sure. Brilliant. So we'll, we'll just come back around everybody for some final thoughts then. So if we start with you, Fabio, any final tips and thoughts on that move from pilot through rollout for customers that may be listening or potential customers? 
I think that the most important part here is to make sure that uh, the customer has an organization that can own that support. They are going to be the ones facing their end users. So they need to be well trained and they need to understand what we are doing and why things are happening in the system and as part of the overall business. So the if that project team is well prepared, has been engaged throughout the project, has been a critical part of testing, uh, you know, and we have gone through a proper pilot group selection, it should be simpler. These are projects that have a large impact in most organizations. So it's never going to be just, uh, you know, your regular day in the park, but there are things that uh, you can do to make that a little bit easier. Brilliant. Michael, final thoughts from you? Yeah, so building on what Fabio said, I mean, those initial people need to be very well trained. Uh, that you can't overdo that because they will be the ambassadors going forward to uh, for full rollout. Um, equally, uh, typically in a pilot, I see there's a, a focus on testing the software tool, the technical capability and the technical fit. Um, and there's there's almost uh, an under uh, of too little focus, I should say, on on the cultural uh, change on the change management side. So make sure that that has um, a role in the pilot as well. Really, and last but not least, Mal, final thoughts. I completely agree with that. I think um, the change piece is such a huge part of this whole process, um, change and training, making sure that people uh, are aware of what's changing, um, making sure there is a, a, a positive vibe out there or at least a vibe of some description out there and people know what they need to do and, and how they need to do it. Um, and and I, I guess that ties into having really strong, good, positive leadership uh, across this with, uh, with governance in place too. Brilliant. So some great thoughts to finish on there. So we'll pause and finish episode two here. So we've, in episode one, we've already selected our WFM solution and we've done all the governance and set the team up and thought about how it's all going to work, which was brilliant. We've, in episode two, done a pilot. That's been great and rolled out and we've completed our implementation across the estate. So in episode three, we'll focus on the post-implementation support, which I think is critical and maybe one of the things which gets ticked and everybody moves on, the project team disappears and potentially not not given as much thought or importance as, as maybe it should. So be interesting to get back together, guys, and hear your thoughts in episode three. Until then, thank you very much again. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Thank you.